Divorce with Confidence is sponsored in part by the law firm of Nader, Naragi, and Woodcock, where they pursue peaceful settlement if possible and aggressive litigation when necessary. Visit them at www.nnwlegal.com. Divorce with Confidence is also sponsored in part by California Divorce Consultants, experienced attorneys offering consultations on a pay-per-minute basis with no obligations and no retainers. Find out more at www.californiadivorceconsultants.com. Hello and welcome to Divorce with Confidence, a program dedicated to helping you find the tools you need to manage the process of divorce with confidence and to find the solutions that are unique to you. My name is Hamid Naragi. I retired from practicing family law as an attorney after 25 years, during which I litigated, mediated, arbitrated, served as a private judge, as well as a divorce coach. I've also written two self-help divorce books, Divorce with Confidence and How to Manage a Contested Divorce in California. My name is Mary Johnson. I'm a certified divorce and life transition coach. As someone who's gone through the divorce process, I know you can navigate a divorce successfully and even thrive in life afterwards. Divorce can devastate you on many levels. To those who have been touched by it, there is no explanation necessary. And to those who haven't, no explanation is possible. We've helped thousands of people through their divorces and have created this podcast to provide our combined experience and wisdom for your benefits. Tune in each episode for a no-nonsense discussion on the subject of divorce that will help you navigate the process as smoothly and efficiently as possible. Welcome to Divorce with Confidence. Hi, everyone. Good to be back with you again. Uh, We've had to take a little bit of a break for the past couple of weeks, and we haven't been doing our regular podcast recording, so I apologize for that. But uh, like all of us know, life happens, things come up. And uh, Mary and I are no exception to that. So pardon us for missing a couple of weeks of recording. Uh, And it's given us the opportunity to uh, kind of think about how we want to format uh, some of the future for recordings, including the one today, which is really going to be just a discussion between uh, Mary and myself. Hi, Mary, by the way. Hey, how are you, Hamid? I'm very good. As I mentioned, it's been kind of a crazy past couple of weeks, including weather-wise. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's correct. So, but it's, yeah. it's, it's good to be with you again. And uh, I'm anxious to just have a conversation with you um, about some thoughts that have been on my mind and um, those of my clients. Um, I'm wondering today, what would you think about us discussing just some concepts around good faith litigation in the legal system. You know, what, what is the court designed to handle? Um, what is, what is the, the role of each uh, participant in terms of honesty, uh, in terms of negotiating with good faith? And, and what do you do in circumstances like uh, one of my clients, Sue, that I'd like to kind of share with you? What do you do in circumstances when clearly the one party is not operating in good faith? Yeah, no, that sounds like a great topic to talk about. I'm sure a lot of people have been faced with those exact challenges throughout the process, whether, you know, we always kind of break. I, I at least like to break it up into a beginning, a middle and an end of a divorce process. 
so yeah, I, I think that those issues that you, you bring up are really important. And the, the tide changes a lot of times. The way you think a, a separation is going to proceed. Right. Sometimes doesn't happen exactly like that. So you kind of have to pivot and adjust. So yeah, I'd love to talk about that. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the um, things people seem to struggle with is um, sometimes you get, you know, a couple where one person truly does want to do good faith litigation and want to be as um, fair and uh, quick in putting all this behind them. And then you've got the other one that it almost seems to be like a new form for uh, harassing the other person, honestly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's, it's, I think, I think it happens more than um, people realize. And maybe even more than the legal system realizes because sometimes it's hard to explain uh, unless you're familiar with the very familiar with the couple involved. Mm-hmm. What is a targeted, uh, you know, tactic and what's not. So I don't know, I'd like to hear your your views on that. Um, ha- you having been a private judge um, and obviously worked with a lot of um, people um you know, going through the divorce process and being surprised at how the courts actually handle that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. And my perspective, as people who have been listening to the podcast or are familiar with me or read a little bit by my background, you know, I have a lot of experience in divorce in every way except actually having gone through a divorce. Thank God. You're <laughs> lucky. You are lucky. Yeah, I, I know <laughs> it. And I, I knock wood every time I say that. Uh, but yeah, I, I've been a litigating attorney where I'm representing one side against the other and using the court system. I've been a collaborative attorney where the two attorneys basically signed an agreement. That agreement's filed with the court saying we promise not to use the court system. And it right. never evolves into that. We, we, we have to step out. I've right. done mediations. I've done uh, private judging, as you mentioned. Each one of those is well suited for a particular situation. And the challenge for anybody going through a divorce is really to find the coat that fits the best. And sometimes you have to try one coat to see you thought it would it looked like it would fit comfortably, but then it doesn't. And then you take it off and you try something else. So sometimes you want to be the one who participates in a good faith negotiation, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. but then you realize it doesn't fit and then you have to adjust and it's painful. It's harmful. It's expensive to have to make that adjustment, but it's a reality sometimes you have to face. And the sooner you realize that coat doesn't fit and you take it off, the less discomfort it causes. Yeah. I mean, Crazy analogy. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, somehow, I don't think that would be a uh, a warm winter of nice coat. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that um, people coming into the system in general, you know, have a view that the legal system is meant to handle all types of people and all types of people, whether they're operating in good faith or not. 
But from my perspective and from, you know, talking to to others, I don't think that's the case. I think the the system is meant to is assumed that people are going to operate in good faith. And it's on the uh, it's the responsibility of the one being, um, you know, kind of targeted or abused by the other to uh, convince the judge or the court otherwise. And I don't know. I just think that the, the laws really aren't um, set up to handle someone who who isn't operating in good faith. Yeah. The courts are an adversarial uh, system. The, the courts are designed for adversarial fighting for one side against the other, for one side to win, the other side has to lose. It's designed for a certain type of situation. Now, you're right. People have the, the wrong idea if they think by appearing in front of a judge, by having an attorney, by having the court and the day in court, they're, they're going to find justice. They're going right. to feel vindicated. A lot of times that's not the case. And, you know, a shameless plug. This is why for a lot of people, as opposed to what you think you may need, if you're going to be separating, you should really speak to a professional who has a wide range of experience before you choose even the system that you're going to use, whether it's mediation, arbitration, litigation, right. collaborative, whatever, whatever shun you want to use. But uh, really examining which one realistically might work best for you as opposed to what you think you might want. Everybody wants a peaceful divorce. Everybody, of course, right. you tell me all I want is what's fair. Well, fair is a subjective term. And as you rightfully pointed out, and I've written on this a long time ago in the first book that I wrote, that if you have a narcissist on the other side, if you have an abuser, if you have a controller, on the other side, your spouse or your, from whom you're separating, they can use the process as yet another way to abuse, to control, to, to harm. So, so I'm sorry, just to finish this up. So, so it, it's so important to be very particular and be very careful and do your analysis before you pick the system and the the, 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 the help that you're going to get, whether it's a lawyer, mediator, arbitrator, whatever. And then to constantly reassess, is this working? Is this as I thought it would be? Go ahead. I cut you off. Right. You know, I mean, just one thing I want to point out that, you know, is is known that unfortunately, if someone is in an abusive relationship, whether that's I mean, physical abuse, it's, you know, right. You know that you're being hit. Emotional yeah. abuse. Um, if someone is in a, a long-term situation with someone, um, it is not atypical for the person being abused to not realize it until you're out of the situation and at least the extent of it, um, because that's, you know, that's part of emotional abuse. Um, and so unfortunately, if there's a, separation or a divorce, that person making those choices of which 
legal or non-legal route you want to go may be doing it while they're still under the um, illusion mm-hmm. that they're not in an abusive situation and that this other person will act rationally and will do what's right and what's best, you know, if there's children involved. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's just unfortunate that um, it, that just compounds compounds the problems because if you get someone who doesn't realize really how much they have been, you know, either, you know, emotionally abused, coercive control, those types of things. And you start down a path where it's just going to continue because you don't have the right um, tools to get a fair divorce. Um, It's just going to compound things and kind of continue that same dynamic. Well, it is. And and, and you're right in that, in my experience, when someone is being quote unquote abused and I put it in quotations because you mentioned there's different kinds of abuse the physical uh, maybe the most obvious but the psychological the emotional even the financial there's a financial abuse element that I've seen a lot where one person throughout either the entire divorce uh, marriage or as it leads up close to a separation they start hiding assets transferring assets doing whatever okay so so I call that financial abuse Um, one is when someone steps out of the bubble and looks back in is the first time they might notice it. Hopefully. Right. right. And a lot of other times it takes someone pointing out to someone that, that, you, that you realize this may be going on. And that only happens when you have a conversation. You know, you also want to stay away from the people who feed you into believing that you've been abused when you really may not have been. You feed you into distrusting your spouse. And a lot of attorneys, believe it or not, are are, are guilty of this in my experience because their style of uh, handling divorces is just a mad dog litigator. So they will convince their clients or potential clients that this is what's going on. Don't you realize you're being abused? But to your point, so you want to stay away from that too. But to your point, it's taking the pause. It's trying to remove yourself from the situation enough where you can look back objectively and say, am I being harmed or abused? Have I been for how long? And get some help to help you try to figure that out, whether it's a psychologist, a coach, a therapist, whatever, a friend, maybe. Mm -hmm. Then, and only then, can you figure out, then what should I do about it? Right. Yeah, I'd like to I'd like to share um, an experience that my friend had. Um, And then I want to tell you about a a client. But the experience that my friend had, uh, when you talk about someone doesn't realize they're being abused, that can actually also happen with physical abuse, because in her case, um, she didn't find out until well into the divorce when an attorney actually made it clear to her and said, didn't you know, she didn't know that someone you know, her, her ex blocking doorways, shoving with a, a shoulder, um, yeah. intimidation that that is actually abuse. You know, she said her, her ex spouse was told, um, as long as you don't use your hands, you know, the courts can't get you. And so that's the, that's how she was operating. And she didn't actually realize, you know, that those things were, uh, forms of physical abuse and obviously it's much easier to to um 
to not know that you're being emotionally abused, but you know, it's, it's, it's sad that those, those situations exist. Um, yeah. And you mentioning that you reminded me of what uh, of many of my former clients and you know that I have a special place in my heart for people who come from a different culture. Right. Uh, and in that particular culture, as you mentioned, the definition of abuse is a lot different. I mean, if they haven't hurt you, if they haven't killed you, they haven't abused you. If they hit, mm -hmm. A man has a right to slap a wife. A man has a right to do this or do that or whatever. A lot of cultures, because it permits it back there, they find it. They, they find themselves here thinking about having abuse, where, like you said, they have been. Right. Um, and right. one particular uh, client of mine that really broke my heart was um, where she had been abused in every way that you were talking about. And she had put up with it. And then at some point, I was having a conversation with her. And she was saying, even when she had gone to her own mother and tried to get help and comfort and guidance, mm -hmm. her own mother had said, you will shame everyone if you divorce him. And quote, this, this was the part that really hurt me. And then she even cried when she was telling me this story. But she was saying, just wait till I die and then you can divorce him. Don't do it while I'm alive. So, <laughs> so yeah, so, so you, wow. you, you can imagine. And to your point, you know, the, the, the recognizing if there's abuse, I'm not saying every situation is one. Hopefully it's, it's a, a very small minority. But if there is abuse, recognizing it because the sooner you recognize it, the sooner you can do something about it, the less harm that will come as a result of it. Right. Right. Yeah. And I'd like to also, I guess, talk a little bit about you mentioned financial abuse, which I think, mm -hmm. uh, in my opinion, is not talked about enough. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, maybe you could um, make sure I'm saying this correctly, but there was a new bill at least in California, right? The recognized coercive control of which financial control is one of those types of coercive controls, um, you know, that the court was now recognizing it as, as a form, you know, a violation. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, there was a, a client, Sue, who throughout the marriage, experienced financial control. She wasn't allowed to have logins. She wasn't allowed to know, you know, what the family fan family finances were. Um, mm. She wasn't allowed to, uh, you know, when when she um, was working uh, for a long period, she wasn't. But when she was working, she had to turn over her logins to her direct deposit accounts. And um, and uh, she said she came home one day and had never uh, you know, had, had never accessed it and was looking forward to seeing, um, you know, how much money had been deposited in this direct deposit since she hadn't worked for such a long period, period of time. <clears throat> and um, the account was empty mm -hmm. and she couldn't do anything about it. Um, and so when this spouse uh, uh, filed for divorce, she didn't have access to any type of funds. And she went through the divorce process uh, during which they were trying to avoid a trial and um, was in front of a private judge. And the private judge was trying to force her to give into things she didn't feel she should 
because he said, you don't have money for mm-hmm. a trial. Mm-hmm. Now the opposing did, the opposing had all the control of the family money. I mean, it's right. just, um, I, I'm still flabbergasted that that would come out of a, of a private judge's mouth, but apparently, you know, I don't know if they don't look at the whole context of the situation or that's just a form of, you know, intimidation to try to get someone to settle. But um, I, th- I think recognizing financial abuse, obviously in a marriage and then it continuing throughout a divorce process, you know, that, that there should be more weight put to that. Yeah. And, and it's all of the above, by the way, when you were saying, well, you don't know if it's a form of intimidation, trying to get people to settle or any of it's all of the above, depending on, you see, the, the, the participants in the divorce world are only as good as the actual individual and then that individual's background, and whether they're good, they're bad, they're ugly, they're lazy, they're zealous, whatever. I'm talking so, about the private yeah, judge. I'm talking about everybody. I'm talking okay. about lawyers. I'm talking about private judges. All professionals. About evaluators, all, the, all the different hats and professionals that are involved. They're only as good as the actual individual. So a lot of people think, well, I have a lawyer. Well, we have a private judge. Well, I have a forensic accountant. But do you have a good one? Right. Uh, And then to what extent do they have the power to help you? Because then they're dealing with another individual. So, for example, you may have the best attorney in the world, but then they're dealing with a judge who may be good, bad, or ugly. The moral of that story is... And I wish I could help people as early as possible in the process. And the earlier, the better. But recognizing that the person you should trust to help you most is yourself. Mm -hmm. And every step past that. So taking responsibility for your own well-being in every one of those situations we've talked about, the financial, the emotional, the psychological, don't give anybody else, your spouse included, the power to have that kind of control over you where they may be able to harm you. Are you talking about during the divorce process or during the I'm talking about as early as possible. (laughs) Go back to the dating phase, okay? Uh, I'll give you an example. I was speaking to a a very um, charming young woman who had just graduated from professional school and uh, her Beyonce was also graduating from professional school. Um, and, and they had this great creature together. They decided to get married. And she was talking to me about a prenuptial agreement, possible prenuptial agreement. Fantastic. Okay, good. So you have the presence of mind to think ahead. But then in talking to her, I wanted to make sure that she wasn't making the mistake of thinking a prenup was going to be a set it and forget it type thing. And I explained to her that even if you get a prenup and that prenup is done well and you have the terms that will protect you, it's not a substitute for using your senses throughout the entire marriage. Keep your eyes open, keep your ears open. Do you know everything that's going on financially? And that, you know, since we're talking about a prenup, we're really talking about financials. Do you know? How much money is coming in and how much money is going out? Do you know where the money is kept? Do you know what is being purchased? Do you know uh, all of that? The more you're involved from the beginning, the less you're giving power to your spouse to potentially 
hide things, transfer things, manipulate things. And if you don't, so now if, if it's later in the process, in the middle of the marriage, well, you have more work to do because more harm may have been done. You follow me so far? Now, if it's, God uh, forbid, it's already to a point of separation and you think or you find out that there may, be, may have been some financial abuse, well, now you've got a really hard time figuring it out. And you have to bring in professionals. And like we talked about, the professionals are only as good as the individual. So taking my point is to take the responsibility and try to avoid problems by staying awake and staying in control, as opposed to having to fix something where damage is done. Yeah, I mean, I agree with what you're saying. However, um, I don't think many people go into a marriage realizing, let's say, let's talk about narcissism, right? Or a controller. I don't think many people realize that, uh, that personality type when they actually get married for one, um, there are tactics if someone wants to hide it until they're well situated into a marriage, you know, people's behavior changes. So, and sometimes that behavior, if you're talking about narcissism um, and, you know, abuse, um, sometimes that uh, it's not atypical for that first form of abuse to occur when, uh, uh, when the children enter the marriage. So when the woman is pregnant, um, because yeah. that changes the dynamic and the, the source of attention. And so, um, you know, once you start talking about having children involved, uh, to me, it's a different ball game. If you're talking about cultural influences, mm-hmm. religious influences, um, you can stay awake and you can try as hard as you want to, um, you know, stay on top of things. But at some point, you know, you're either going to have to, um, you know, uh, make some choices, um, that are much harder to do when you have children involved. Um, so I, I don't, uh, personally, I don't think it's, it, it's never clear cut. And, um, you know, for some forms of a control, it has to start out very low key or the person be like, what? Right. You know, I'm not going to yeah. put up with this. Yeah. But there's a, you know, if it's a long term marriage, there could have been years of just continual, slow, steady, um, you know, increasing abuse. And for those situations, um, I just wouldn't want it to sound like uh, the fault is on the person being abused. Not at all. Yeah. And I didn't mean it to come across that way. So if it did, I apologize to everybody listening. I did not mean it to mean a fault. What I meant was personal responsibility. And I, I think there's a big distinction between those two. Uh, yeah. The person and the personal responsibility, even with that individual that I was talking about, the professional who was talking about Arpina, that's the you know best case scenario. I'm saying right. if I could, the sooner I get involved, or the sooner the person has their senses uh, awakened and is watching out for everything. But 
as you mentioned, maybe at that point, it is Prince Charming. And uh, later on, it evolves into a worse situation. Okay, fine. At whatever point your eyes are opened, at mm -hmm. whatever point the relationship may change, at whatever point that person may uh, either change or exhibit their true personality. Right. At that point, then you take the personal responsibility of what do I do now? What do I do now? Because it's, it's we, we, we talked about this a few, <clears throat> few episodes ago, but it's always your next move that counts. And right. You, you said that it reminded you of a chess game. Um, it's your next move that counts. So at the point where the other person may have changed, at the, at the point where your eyes may have been opened or your eyes may have been opened for you by someone who's helping you, then taking the responsibility and saying, okay, then what do I do? And even if what I need to do is to get help from a professional right. or the court system, don't just delegate it 100% and hope for the best. Remain active. That's what I wrote those two books for, was to try to give people some of the tools so they knew how to be active. That's why you and I became coaches, so that we could try to help people in a live capacity, in a real-life capacity, right. how to assess and how to plan their next move. But so, again, it had nothing to do with blaming yourself or taking fault, but it had everything to do with saying, looking in the mirror and saying, okay, now what do I do? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that is a big... Um it's it, it, it's very good for someone to get that outside perspective, that professional perspective. I think honestly, that's probably uh, for me one of the most important roles for a divorce coach to give that outside perspective. You know, um, what is what is normal? What, what you know? What legal recourse or you know what options do you have? Um, yeah. And these, you know, they're never black and white, usually, you know, these gray situations. And, you know, do you follow your gut? You know, do you do it within um, the realms of the legal system? It's, mm -hmm. it's, um, yeah, one reason I wanted to become a divorce coach is had I known the divorce coaches existed when I was going through my own divorce, yeah, I would have found the resources extremely useful. And I hope this resonates with people out there. You don't have to do it alone. Um, it may be a little bit more work. It may be more work than you thought you wanted to get involved with. And as I mentioned to you in the past, you know, when you're going through a separation, you know this all too well. You've been through this. All of the other elements of life don't stand still while you focus 100% on your separation. You yeah. still have your responsibilities at work. You still have your, your kids to take care of if you have children. You still have, you know, all, all the other issues of life, dealing with AT&T, <laughs> dealing with all of these little annoyances. Now I'm going to get AT&T hating. But you're going to get all these little annoyances of life while you still have to focus on this. But the divorce is does really become the launching pad for the rest of your life, the next chapters that you're going to write for yourself. Because if you do it right, not just financially, but also emotionally, psychologically, you, you again, go back to the confidence element of our show, the book and everything is the, the 
best, the better you handle your separation, the more confidence you have in all of those unknowns that you're going to face from here on out. It does. And I think a very key piece of advice I'd like to share is that as you go through the divorce process and you're um, you don't have enough time for everything. The one thing you should not let slip is your health. So, you know, don't stop going to an exercise class or going for a long walk or if you haven't been doing it, do it. Um, you know, practice meditation or whatever helps you reduce your stress level, get good sleep, you know, don't, don't, you know, uh, do other things that are not good for your health to try to cope. And, um, then when you get to the other side, you know, you're not going to be as likely to be suffering from health consequences too. Yes, absolutely. And in addition to that, you know, as I mentioned, I haven't been through a divorce, but it doesn't mean I'm immune from other challenges in my life. I've I've had very difficult challenges throughout my life. And when I came to the realization that you just mentioned that you don't get tunnel vision because you have this one particular challenge, you you, you focus only on that and you ignore all the other stuff, your health, your your, your well-being, your mental well-being, all of that. And the more I would take time to focus on those things, the more clarity it gave me when it was time to think about my own challenges or the divorce in this case that we're talking about. So yeah, I completely agree with you. You have to compartmentalize your time and attention. There's time to focus on your divorce. There's time to focus on you. Right. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I would say, you know, if you do take care of your health, you're going to be able to deal with those same stressors in a more effective way and they will not throw you so much. Um, that just your coping will be better, um, you know, with, with good physical and mental health. Again, I want to apologize to everybody for the the couple of weeks lapse in our program. Um, and and thanks Mary for continuing to do this with me. I know you have, you and I both have our own other issues that we have to focus on, but this is very important. Uh, I, I feel speaking in this way and having people hear the different messages that we give out. I I really hope it's helpful to someone. And please, uh, for everybody listening, if there are topics that you would like for Mary and I to discuss, or if you would like to submit some questions for us to answer, or if you'd even want to be uh, a participant and and speak with us on air, please go to our website, There's a place there where you can enter your information, submit that to us, and we'd love to um, have that. Yes, and thank you for for, uh, talking about these, I think, very important topics. And if any of you are going through the divorce process, know that you you have support. It's out there, uh, and you're not going through it alone. So until next time, please take care of yourselves and be well. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you found the information helpful and that you will share it with anyone who may also be helped by it. Remember to click subscribe to get an alert for new episodes and go to divorcewithconfidence.org for a list of past shows as well as leaving questions and ideas for future programs on Instagram at Divorce With Confidence.
The content and conversations in this podcast are for informational and entertainment purposes only and do not contain legal advice, legal opinions, or any other form of advice regarding any specific facts or circumstances. Communication of information through this podcast, one, does not create or constitute an attorney-client relationship, two, is not intended as a solicitation to create an attorney-client relationship to provide legal services as to any particular matter, and three, is not intended to convey or constitute legal advice or to provide a substitute for obtaining legal advice from a qualified attorney. You should not act upon any such information without seeking qualified legal counsel on your specific needs.